everyone, welcome. Happy Sunday. Please stand and worship with us.
be seated. Today we continue our tale of two sisters, Princess Olga and Princess Inga. Princess Olga, as you know, had special powers that she couldn't control. Just like it in that movie. No, 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 no. We're not going to go there again. Olga was afraid that she might one day hurt someone with her out-of-control powers. So she decided the best thing to do would be to leave the kingdom and live out in the cold, barren wasteland alone. Okay, bye. Bye. When she was by herself, Olga built for herself. Let me guess. She built herself a huge palace made out of snow and ice. I've seen this movie. No. For your, uh, for your information, uh, Olga built herself a cardboard shack to live in. A what? She what? Yes, uh, she decided she didn't need a big, great, icy palace to live in. She just would get a big, giant cardboard box and live in that, okay? Hey. Okay. <clears throat> no, that's wrong. She's supposed to live in a big palace. Sorry, I'm the one telling the story here. Are you just going to settle for living in a cardboard box? It's not so bad. It's a lot warmer than an ice palace. <laughs> and if I can find some refrigerator boxes, I think I'll add on to the east wing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, this is crazy. We're princesses. Royalty. And royalty is supposed to live in luxury and grand palaces. We're supposed to have the finest of everything. Not all royalty lives in palaces. Name one. Jesus. Jesus? Jesus? He's not in the story. When I was back there getting my boxes, I ran into some shepherds. They just met baby Jesus. He lives in a stable. He sleeps in a trough where the animals eat. Shepherds. There's not supposed to be any shepherds in this story. Didn't the shepherds think it was... Odd that a king would be living in a barn? (laughs) Well, I guess they were just too excited about meeting Jesus. They said everyone should meet him. That does sound exciting. Hey, do you want to go meet him? I do. Wait, we haven't finished the story. Come on, let us go. (laughs) Uh, 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 To be continued... The long-awaited Savior has been born. In the sleepy little town of Bethlehem, he came. The tale has been told many times, but we gather together now with new ears, listening with expectancy and curiosity, hearing the story again like the first time. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there is no guest rooms available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid. I bring to you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clouds and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared around the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and were gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they have heard and seen, which were just as they have been told. Two thousand years ago, the angels invited the shepherds to meet this newborn king. The shepherds accepted the invitation, laying down their staffs and leaving their flocks behind. They knew that what awaited them was more important than anything they were leaving. Today we are given a similar invitation to meet Jesus. We will have to lay some things aside and leave other things behind. But what God offers us in Jesus is so much more than we could ever give up. The Holy Spirit calls us to meet Jesus. Let us go. Psalm 25, 4-7 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great.
adore Oh, come let us adore Oh, come let us adore like the little children, you know? Like David, when he was coming into town, he didn't care. He danced. People were making fun of him. He didn't care. He danced because he was happy. He was happy because the Lord put something in his heart. This is a, a great time of the year for us when we can all feel like little kids dancing in the streets again. And we're going to light our uh, Advent candle for the second week. Last week, as you know, we lit the candle, the candle of hope. And this week, it's the candle of peace. So where, where are the leans at? Where are they? There they are. Come on down, you guys. Whoever's, whoever's, who's doing it? Okay, you guys, all right. All right. Picture a man named Abraham. He was 75 years old. He was married to Sarah, who was also well along in years. And they'd been married for a lifetime, and yet they had no children. And God came to Abraham, as you guys know, in his old age. And this reading is from Genesis. And he said, leave your country, your people, your father's household. And go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now God was asking a lot of Abraham, leave everything behind and go to a place that you don't even know. Put your trust in me. And I will bring you to a place that will someday be known as Canaan. I will make you into a great nation. You don't have any children yet, but trust me, you will. God did ask a lot from Abraham, but God promised even more and he delivered. He promised descendants, blessings, protections for the journey. He promised a lot. Abraham had faith. And as he embarked on his journey, he put his trust, his faith in God. And God gave him peace. The peace that filled Abraham as he embarked on a very unknown, dangerous, and difficult journey is the same peace that God offers us today in the midst of our unknown and dangerous times sometimes. In the midst of our good, in the midst of our bad, in the, in the midst of our joy, in the midst of our anguish, God grants us peace through the Holy Spirit. So this week, we light the candles of hope and peace. Now let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, when you left and ascended to the right hand, of, you left behind the Counselor. You left behind the Holy Spirit, and He dwells in us today. He's the one that gives us the strength. He's the one that gives us joy. He's the one that gives us guidance. And He is the one that gives us peace. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, good morning, friends, church. How are you all? Sufficiently warm, I hope. 
No, that's not true. So they've given me a script to read from now on because apparently I just go off script and say whatever I want to. I oh me, you know. So uh, <clears throat> I'll read it. Uh, good morning and welcome to Friends Church. In just a few minutes, we're going to dismiss the kids to Kids Church and continue to worship. But first, I would like to draw your attention to the bulletin you have received. Please pull it out and pull out your communication card. Hold it. It actually says hold it up, so I'm holding it up. If you are a first or second time guest, please fill out the communication card. We will follow up with you this week with uh, information about our church as well as a special welcome gift. We will include you in our weekly email updates as well. Now, if you're a regular attender or member, this card is a way to update your information, list prayer requests, get plugged into serving and next steps, and a pastor or team member will be in touch with you soon. Kids Jeopardy this week. All kids, first grade through fifth grade, join us this Friday. This Friday, 6 o'clock, Jeopardy and Pizza. Call the office for more information or just meet us here. It's a lot of fun. Joe Bob dresses up, puts on his, on his suit, pretends to be Alex Trebex. And these kids, you wouldn't believe how much they know about the Bible. It's, uh, it's, I've learned a lot just listening to them. They're a pretty amazing bunch. Um, parents, day out. Listen to this. This is pretty awesome. Parents, stay out. Drop your kids off here, infant through fifth grade, this Saturday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. so parents can go out Christmas shopping, right? We're all going to go Christmas shopping during that five hours, aren't we? Registrations require $10 per family. Register online at friendschurch.org or sign up at the resource table at the Cove. Now, kids, you want, you, you want to give your parents some time to buy you some Christmas presents, right? So you've got to be really good and you've got to come here and you've got to be really good because I'll tell you a secret. Usually your parents buy Christmas presents and they go home and hide them. Well, they'll be in the car, so you just look over into the back seat and peek, and then you know, right? Isn't that an awesome idea? It is, I told you. Unless they really sneaky and have them gift wrap them right there at the snore. Yeah, see, that'll happen sometimes. Ladies, GGF Christmas party this Saturday, December 10th, 6.30. Uh, we're going to have a mug swap and snacks. There's also a host, um, they are also hosting a Lego drive, all right, for Joel's place. So check out GGF on the Facebook on their Facebook page for more. It's time to pray for the kids' church. Kids, all right, kids, are you ready? Can you bow your head? Can you put your hands like this? All right. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for these kids. We thank you so much for the teachers. We thank you that they can come together and learn about you and have fun while they're doing it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, kids, go have fun. And for the adults, we're going to stay here and worship. God from whom all blessings flow. Face Him all creatures here below. Face Him above heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy God from whom all blessings flow. 
Thank you, worship team. Wonderful. All good news. Last service, I came up without any water. I got plenty of water this time. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. Um, before we get started, I just, uh, I don't know whether you've noticed or not, but when I get up here, and I take up the offering, which we're going to do here in just a minute. I've been attempting to um, help you to realize that 
our, there's a financial element to the kingdom of God. There's an economy in the kingdom. And the word, I believe, clearly teaches that for whatever uh, purpose and plan and, and uh, ministry that God has for each one of you, there's a financial component to that, and God will supply your need according to that which he's called you to do. And so, uh, with that in mind, I just wanted to read something to you. This is an excerpt from an article written by Robert Woodbury, who is now a political science professor at the University of Singapore, and he presented this uh, quantitative research uh, paper about the legacy of missionaries. Um, It says, Woodbury's findings stood in direct contrast to the assumptions that many held about foreign Protestant Christians. And this is a quote. Uh, Mr. Woodbury, Professor Woodbury says, areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past are on average more economically developed today with comparatively better health lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women, and more robust membership in non-governmental associations. In other words, as Christian missionaries have brought the message of Christ into nations and the principles of the kingdom they tend to make that nation prosper. And I believe the same, and I have, I would add, experienced the same truth in my own personal life. In fact, from 19, right at the end of 1988 until just recently, a couple of years ago, I basically had no, uh, uh, no regular salary. And God, through all those years, uh, actually prospered me and helped me to meet all the needs of myself, my family, and uh, even giving more abundantly. And, And I always looked at it as investing in the kingdom of God through giving. You know, there's a scripture that says, for example, he that, um, gives to the poor loans is making a loan to the Lord. So you can see there's an interaction. And, and I just want you to know, whatever is sown into especially the kingdom and God's work is meticulously recorded in heaven. I believe there's an angel up there with a diamond stylus. It's actually recording every bit of it. And God says, whatever you sow, you will reap. There's, there is a, an aspect of giving, and it is a heavenly, earthly exchange. And I also believe that those who have a, a, a kingdom mindset, and especially those who are called into business, will, will come up with ideas, they'll be creative, they may invent certain things, they'll have divine appointments, and in many ways, God will cause them to, um, to have sufficient amount for whatever else he's called them to do. So, with that in mind, Father, we pray today and we present ourselves to you, Lord. And not only 
ourselves, but all that we have, all that we possess, Lord. We ask you, God, that this truth would enter deep into our minds and hearts and that, God, we would begin to see things on earth from a heavenly perspective. And so, Lord, with that in mind, we give in Jesus' name and we pray that, God, your kingdom uh, will come in a more full way to our community and that, Lord, your word will uh, prevail and, and will spread rapidly in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this morning um, we're going to continue in Second uh, Thessalonians, and actually I'm going to overlap with some verses that uh, Brian preached on, which are so loaded that, uh, you know, no one person, no one message could ever begin to even hardly scratch the surface of all that is contained in, in this book of Second Thessalonians. Uh, and in particular, the verses that Brian spoke on last week, which I want to say he did a brilliant job. And, and I was thinking about that word, you know, and I thought, yes, it was brilliant. But what was even more uh, special to me was I could see how he was coming in to the place and the ministry that God's called him into in a more full and beautiful way. And so for me, that was an extra special blessing to see that. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say right now. Anyway, what I want to do today is I want to I share what in actual fact will end up being, I believe, some foundation stones for revival. And I want to say that personally, um, God has spoken very clearly and succinctly. In fact, he's given me not only words, but uh, visions of a, a tremendous, profound, and powerful uh, revival that God has uh, scheduled for Fairbanks, Alaska. And so we are on a course that is heading into that, and, 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 and we need to be prepared for that. Because it is going to be through revival, through the visitation of God upon his church, that this city is going to be turned upside down. That God's going to have us make a major impact on this city. And, and there will be thousands of people coming to the Lord. And there will be massive amounts of the fruits of revival, okay? And so I'd like to begin, it's not in order in your notes, but I'd like to begin here in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not upon your own understanding. Very, it's a very profound scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's very difficult not to lean upon your own understanding. And yet, the two together, those elements are quite complementary. And as you learn to trust in the Lord with all your heart, you will see significant things happening in your life. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And, and get this, he will make your paths straight. And when I read that, I think not only 
you know, the direction of my life, the course of my life, the plan of God, but I also think of neural pathways in my mind that he will make these paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. In other words, I think it's a very uh, dangerous thing and, and a presumptuous thing to appraise ourselves. The Holy Spirit needs to do that. And in fact, we can help each other in that regard because God can give us downloads about where we are in him. And so it's important that we do not be wise in our own eyes, but rather fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And this will be the result. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So let's start out here in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, and we'll go through verses 13 to 15. It says here, but we, and this is Paul uh, writing to the church in Thessalonica, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. Brethren, you know, I mean, each one of these words is so significant. You know, this, this letter was inspired by God. It says that all Scripture is inspired by God. And what that word inspired means is God breathed. So this is not just some sort of, um, you know, word that popped into Paul's mind. This word was there, it's there for a purpose. And it's, it's, it's speaking about uh, two things. One is the fact that these people were called brethren because they were called out. They were called out of the world system. They were called out of, of this entire uh, demonic world system, and they were born of the Spirit. They were born from above. They, our citizenship is in heaven, and we are all brothers and sisters in God. We are all part of the same tribe. We're all in the same family. And therefore, we refer to each other as brothers and sisters in God. And then it says, beloved of the Lord. This is one of the most significant things that can happen in your life is that you understand and receive the love of God. We are beloved by the Lord. Because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation. And I'm going to emphasize certain phrases and certain words in these passages and, and, and later put them together, I think, in, in, a, in a way that will get, bring clarity to the whole thing. But it's a, one of those words is salvation. And a lot of times we think, when we read that word, we think, okay, salvation, eternal salvation. When I die, I'm going to heaven. And certainly it does mean that. But it means much more than that. Because salvation is not only an eternal uh, uh, aspect of destiny, but it's also something that takes place from day to day within our hearts, and even in our bodies even in our finances, even in our families, even in our cities, even in nations. And so it's, it's not only just some future thing, it's for here and now. And it says that it's through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 
And then it says, to which he called you by our gospel. Now I'm going to take these words, salvation, sanctification by the Spirit, belief in the truth, which he called you by our gospel, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now one of the things we have a habit of doing in the church is even in our mindset, even in preaching and teaching and so forth, is so often we put everything back into the book of Acts, the early days of the church. That's where all the miracles are. That's where all the the outpouring of the Spirit was and so forth. Or we put it off at the return of Christ. And this is one of the expressions that could easily be put off to, well, when Jesus returns, yeah, we'll all be, you know, we'll all have obtained the glory. But that is not what Paul is meaning by this verse. Because in Ephesians 3.21, it says, Unto him be glory in the church throughout all generations. And that includes our generation. So it is, so it is an encouragement to read that we, through the gospel, can obtain the glory of God. The glory of God is the presence of God. It's the weighty presence of God. And I want to tell you, I've experienced the presence of God far beyond what we are currently experiencing. I mean, I can remember being pinned down on the floor for hours under this heavy cloud of glory that, that not only I was experiencing, but, but uh, the people in my uh, you know, in the church we're experiencing as well. It wasn't just an individual experience. And and I believe that God has something ahead of us, and he wants us to begin to believe for the glory of God in our midst. This is what Paul is saying. We have come, and it's through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth, and through the gospel for the obtaining of the glory. Now, when it says sanctification... It is, I, I kind of wrote this, you know, this is a general, um, I believe, accurate uh, definition. It's the alignment of our thoughts, words, and actions with the Holy Spirit. In other words, our thoughts, words, and actions line up with the Spirit of God who is in us. And that alignment is by the Holy Spirit. It's coming under his influence. It's by his power that we can align our thoughts, words, and actions with him. So it's with the Holy Spirit, and it is also by the Holy Spirit. So it's incumbent upon us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're encouraged in Ephesians. It says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the result of sanctification, and I used to, it was almost like a word, it was like, you know, fingernails on the chalkboard to me because it, it, it was rigid, it, was, it, was, uh, it seemed to be very demanding to me. And then I came into, you know, further as I walked with God, I began to understand, you know what this is? It's freedom. Sanctification is freedom. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from the dominion of things that are, you know, would destroy our lives. It's freedom from sin, sickness, demons, death, and curse. We are set apart for God. We are made holy 
by him. We are sanctified and made holy by the offering of the body of Jesus. And in that sanctification, that in that we are made holy, God has given us a new heart and a new spirit. This should change your sense of identity. This should change your self-image. God has, has created a new creation within you. That's who you are. That's what you are. The more you renew your mind and, like it says, believe in the truth, the more you'll see the, the uh, things that are spoken about us begin to transform us. They will transform your life. And so we're not only sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus, kind of like a once and for all thing, continual uh, experience and, and reality of who he's made us to be, but we are also sanctified, as it says here, by the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. And, and so that he, by his power, conforms us to the image of Christ. Does this make sense to you? It is so quiet in here. Wow. You know, it's not, I can't see very well, so I think, well, what are they doing? They're reading magazines, they're surfing the net, I don't know, playing, you know, chess. I don't know what, what's going on out there. So, you know, feel free to give me all this feedback. Anyway, so, so we're sanctified by the, whole, by the offering of the body, but we're also sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In fact, in, 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 uh, in Galatians, it says, having begun in the Spirit... Are you now perfected by the flesh? No, we're not. We're not perfected by our own efforts or willpower or discipline or anything like that. We're perfected. We are on a course of perfection in which we are being conformed to the, to the image of Christ. And I, I just, you know, this should create in you a sense of confidence. I hope it does. It does in me because it, we're relying upon God to perform his work within us. In, in John 17, 15, I love the words of Jesus. They're just so deep. They're so profound. They're so amazing and awesome. And in John 17, 15, he's praying for the disciples. And he says to the Father, I do not pray that you will take them out of the world. In fact, we are sent into the world. Is that right? God's plan for us is that we go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And so, and so not, we're not retreating from the world. We're not pulling back. We're going out into the world. And then it says, but that you should keep them from the evil one. The whole, in, in John five nineteen it says, the whole world is under the influence of the evil one. There is an entire system out here that is designed to keep us from the fullness of Christ, to hinder us from being conformed to His image, to restrict our abilities and our access to preach the gospel to every creature. But God has a plan, 
And if we will pray and if we will seek Him and if we will allow Him to equip us by His Spirit and, and by His Word, then we will penetrate the kingdom of darkness and this world system until the point where it is turned upside down as they said it happened in the book of Acts. That's where this thing is going. We're headed for the glory of God. We're headed into revival. We're headed into a last day's outpouring of the Holy Spirit like mankind has never seen. And the, and the fruit on that tree is going to be abundant. And so we're going into all the world and God is going to keep us from the evil one. He's going to keep us from deception and, and that influence. And then, then he says, they are not of this world. You realize we are not of this world? We have to get that into our minds because the fact is is that we were born here, but then we were born again. We were born from above. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we that's our origin of birth. And so we are not of this world. And he says, They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. To that degree. Jesus was born and sent from heaven. And to that degree, we are born and we are sent into this world as well. And then he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This this book is the greatest instrument ever created to renew and transform our minds into the mind of Christ. And so it's incumbent upon us to fill up on this word. I would encourage you, fill up on God's word every day, even if you can just read it for 15 minutes a day. I have discovered over my many years of walking with God, if I will simply read the scriptures, nothing else, it, it, it creates a clarity of mind. And then my whole day is transformed and I, I can just think clearly. My values are there. And when you wake up in the morning, it's like your mind is a blank chalkboard. And whatever happens, whatever's written into that, that's how you feel. That's how you respond. That's how you'll think. So when you get up in the morning, get up 15 minutes earlier and fill your mind with God's word. I guarantee it will make a huge difference in your life. And so he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Not only that, but Jesus said that when, after I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he said, this, this, I will send the spirit of truth and he will guide you into all truth. So not only are we are we being conformed to the image of Christ through his word? Not only are we being uh, sanctified by, his, by, the, by the written word, we're also being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And he is leading us into all truth. And that truth is for us to believe. So it says, believe in the truth. Now in the, in the book of uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy, we see where the children of Israel were given promises, magnificent promises of of, 
going into a land of abundance, a, a land of milk and honey, a land where they didn't have to pump water with their foot, but the rain came down from heaven, and they would see uh, mansions and beautiful homes that they didn't build and vineyards and orchards that they didn't plant, and they were to come in and conquer that land and possess that land, and God's blessing was to be on that land. But, but it says that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. They couldn't obtain what God had set aside for them, that God had purposed for them because of unbelief. And it says, for indeed, we have had good news preached to us. You're having good news preached to you today, right here, right now. And it says, we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. There is a resistance to God's word that's right here. It's our minds. And the reason there's a resistance is because when we became Christians, when we were born from above, we didn't get our minds renewed right away. And so our minds have been programmed by this system. And the system is resistant to the word, the word of of God. And so it's incumbent upon us to to uh, persist and to repent from past beliefs and have our minds renewed. In other words, carve new neural pathways that line up with God's Word and God's Spirit. That makes sense to you? We're in, and, it, and it's not, as we're creating these new neural pathways, it's not just about, we often think of repentance as just simply turning away from evil, turning away from sin. But as the emphasis was on that in the Old Testament, the New Testament even goes far beyond that. And what it is, is not only a turning away from darkness, but also setting our minds on things above. Setting our minds on the things of God, beholding them in prayer and in the Word. And, and then, so what we're seeing is we're turning away from the past, and we are not allowing the past to, to restrict us from entering into the total future, the land that God has for us. And so it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. And behold, all things become new. Behold. Behold the things that God has for us. Allow yourself to dream. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about your life, about your relationships about your finances, about our city. Allow us to believe. Allow your imagination to be influenced by the Holy Spirit and behold the things that he has set before us. And then it says, and this is what Paul did, because he said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. God will show us the things that are in front of us, the plan that He has, the course that He has for us, the purpose that He has for us, the ministry He has for us, the place that He has for us. When I quoted that verse a minute ago, I said, the Spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. And to finish that verse, it says, and He will show you things to come. This is a normal Christian life that we would not only know who we are, what we are, and have uh, the truth of our transformation working within us, but also the plan, the course, the purpose, the calling, all of that, and looking forward to what God has for us. Those things which are ahead. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in God in Christ Jesus. So we're not allowing our past to hinder us from our future. And then it says, to which he called you by our gospel. And I'm really not tired of saying this. And I'm going to say it again and again and again. The gospel, Paul defined it in Romans 1.16. He said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel, and this is this has just got to get into our consciousness. It is the power of God unto salvation. It, it, it is power unto salvation. He said, and I love this, been kind of my verse, one of the main verses for 2016 in my life has been 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. In other words, the gospel comes in salvation-producing power and in the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I love this. I just saw this this morning before... um, before the first service, I, I was looking at this full conviction, and it means entirely confidence, fully convinced, and it even has the idea of a, a, a net being crammed full. And that's what happens when you don't get the gospel in word only, but you get it in power and in the Holy Spirit. You come under full conviction. Convincing and full conviction, excuse me, and being fully convinced and fully persuaded and fully assured that this is the truth. I mean, man, I, I remember seeing a bumper sticker in California that said it was an atheistic thing. And it said, the, the more you know, the less you believe. And, and I thought to myself, you know, that's exactly not true. The more you know, the more you believe. Amen. It's so, yeah, come on. So, <laughs> trying to get you on board here. So, so what we're saying is that it, it's not just a concept. It's not just doctrine. It's not just dogma. It's not just tenets. It, it's, it's not a just Greek and Hebrew and, and kind of grasping all this with our, 
you know, cerebral minds. It's not about rationality necessarily. It's not just about rules or principles to live by. And, and it takes us beyond what is humanly possible. It's above and beyond the rational mind. And, and so the salvation is not just a concept. It's a reality that we are to experience. And I believe that Jesus defined salvation. He defined the gospel when he first started to preach. And he made you, it, it makes it very clear that this power of the gospel is here and now. It's not just after you die that you get saved or that you experience salvation. Because he said, and, and I, I love this verse so much. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. See, this is the power of God unto salvation. This is the definition. To heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. The recovery of sight to the blind. I mean, there's an, there's an aspect in the gospel in which we can receive divine healing. And to set free those that are oppressed. Jesus' entire ministry was summed up by Peter when he said, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And so that is our commission. Because we have the same spirit that was in Christ. It is His Spirit in us. And He said, the works that I do, you will do also. And even greater works shall you do. Are you with me? Okay. All right. And so, and so it says here in verse 16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. That, that word establish means to strengthen, to fix, to make fast, to set. That's what... That's what God the Father and, and Jesus Christ are, are saying here, that, th- that through the Holy Spirit, God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ will establish us and strengthen us and fix us and make us stand fast in every good word and work. And I want to point out, it says, God our Father who has loved us who loves us, okay? And then moving on to the third chapter, it says, finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Nothing happens apart from prayer. It's not going to happen. There's got to be a, 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 a place of prayer in your life. And I know that many of you think that, okay, you know, I'll start praying, and God, I need this, God, I need that. Wow, how long has it been? Ten minutes. I'm exhausted. I mean, that's boring prayer. Prayer is way beyond that. 
I would suggest that you start by being as honest and transparent as you can possibly be with God. And secondly, begin to tell God about what, you know, begin to express your deepest desires. Because as you do that, the Holy Spirit, you are opening up a a very intimate relationship with God. And then pray with other people. And don't get into the whole prayer list thing. I mean, there is a, you know, prayer uh, prayer groups. I've had prayer groups for years. And they always are marked by this um, um, element. And that is, it's like, a, it's like a spiritual potluck where each person brings something to the table. And when I get done with that type of prayer meeting, I am full. I don't leave exhausted, bored, none of that. It's, it's energizing. It's fulfilling. It's satisfying. It's, it's like it open, God begins to open things up to us, and we begin to dream with God, and we begin to see what He has. And there's a prophetic element that comes into play that makes it alive and energizing and amazing. And so that's what prayer should be. And so he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. In other words, spread rapidly that we may be delivered from perverse and wicked men for not all have faith. In other words, like I said, though there is the world system, there are those who are so committed to it that they will resist the good news of the gospel. And I can quote Morpheus when he says, they're so inured in this system that they will fight to defend it. And we really have to get a, a, a mindset where we realize that this thing is a system out here and, and its goal is to produce and to, and to cause men to be perverse and wicked and resist the faith. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. You see Paul here, right? You know, he's, he's right in line with what Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, deliver us from the evil one. Paul prays, guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you, that both, excuse me, confidence concerning you both that you do and will do the things we command you. There's so much, you know, the word grace is not used in this, in this passage very much, but it's full of grace. God is saying, I'm going to establish you in every good word and work. And then I will guard you from the evil one. And then you will do and will continue to do. And he says, Why, how are you going to do that? Well, I have confidence in the Lord. So our confidence is in God that he's transforming us and that if we will step into his path, the one that he has for us, and we will begin to allow God to equip us and we begin to believe God and begin to see our mission as going out into this city that that God himself will establish us in that work. He will cause us to succeed. He will prosper us in that. He will give us favor in the ministry that he's called us to. And we can put our confidence in Him. 
And then it says, And now may the Lord direct your, your, your hearts into the love of God. So like I said, in verse 16 it says, Who has loved us? And then verse 3, 5, Direct your heart into... What I'm saying is this, that you have to receive the love of God. And when you receive the love of God, then God can direct your hearts into that love and you can begin to express and begin to, to give that love to others. Because if you don't have the love of God in your heart, which the Scripture says is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, then you're not going to be satisfied inside. And you often, because we live in that love deficit, then we're trying to get people to love us and meet our needs. And, you you know, they're there for us rather than we are giving to them because our barns are filled with plenty and our vats are overflowing with new wine. It's a beautiful thing, God's plan for us and His provision for us. And so out of these verses, I want to extract what I consider three pillars that need to be in every church in every city. And these three pillars are what are mentioned in these scriptures, which we've just gone through. The first one is love, holiness, and power. And they're like a three-legged stool, you know. I mean, you need all three. And it's very easy to focus and to be, uh, have a deficit in one area or another. In other words, you can look at churches all over this nation and you can see uh, certain strengths and weaknesses. For example, there will be churches that have love and holiness but no power. And then you might see another one that has holiness and power without love. And then there will be others that have love and power, but they have a serious deficit in the area of holiness. So these three things, these are God's provision for us. These are produced in us by the Holy Spirit and are to be expressed through us, not only to each other, but to the world and our city in particular. Everything is centered, now listen to this, everything is centered in relationships. We have our personal, intimate, and experiential relationship with God and with one another. It's a love relationship. Everything is about the kingdom of God. We are told to seek first the kingdom of God, His realm, His dominion. Then everything is by grace. Everything is by the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. We have freely received, therefore Jesus said, freely give. And so we we receive this unmerited uh, justification, righteousness, and power, and the ability to be fruitful in God. And then everything is through prayer. 
it's through the secret place. It's through abiding in Christ. It's through resting in the Spirit of God and allowing Him to direct our course so that ultimately we are co-laboring with Him. We are co-laboring with God. And as that happens, it takes us beyond our actually far above and exceedingly beyond our natural resources, our wisdom. And so we would receive by grace and through prayer divine downloads of grace and wisdom of God. And, and last, everything is done in view of our city. In other words, the more I walk, the more I think about anything that we're doing, anything that I'm doing. And I'm asking myself, what does this mean for our city? Because Paul said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. There is an end point in mind. Everything begins in the great commandment and ends in the great commission. This is what we're all about. This is what we are all about. We are all about the expression of Christ within us by love, by holiness, and by power. And so it begins with love, holiness, and power and ends with and results in salvation and glory. Salvation and glory. And so then, verse 15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, we have a kind of a strange concept of traditions, okay? But really, what this word means is transmissions. In other words, Stand fast and hold the transmission, the deposits, the revelations, the, the, the seeds that have been planted within you, the, the treasures that have been given to you through the Word and through, you know, whether it's like, like I believe what he's referring to by his own personal word to them or by his letters to them, but that, that we would hold those things that we would be tenacious. And, it, and that word hold is fantastic because it means, it means it, in hold the transmissions, it's to be strong, to be mighty, to prevail. It means to take possession of, to lay hold of, to seize, and to, to continue to hold on to those things that have been deposited within you. There are things that are being deposited within you in this very message. And many of you, I believe many of you as I'm up here speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you specifically. And you are to, to stand fast and to hold, to seize, to prevail. Be mighty in what you are receiving. Allow that seed to grow. Allow that treasure to remain in you and transform you and and cause you to rise up and be strong and prevail in whatever God's called you to be and do. And especially in spreading the word rapidly in our town. 
Okay, so I want to end with this. It's Luke chapter 11, and it's Jesus in prayer. And it says, And it happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, and this is kind of the template for prayer, is pray or say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he said to them this parable. Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves. And for a friend of mine has come from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside the house, he, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door is already shut, and my children and I are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, this isn't scriptural, but I think it's worthy to suggest this to you. The three loaves... The three loaves being love, holiness, and power. And whether that could be entertained as a a part of this parable, it, it doesn't really matter, but I think it's kind of a cool way to look at it because what is being, what, what is being set up here is it's all about what is going on in one of these three friends. So, so this gentleman has a friend who's on a journey, and he comes to his house, and, and when he arrives, he has nothing to give to him. So it basically breaks down this way. I have a need, and yet I do not have the, the means to meet that need. I do not have the resources. I do not have the provision. Therefore, I go to my other friend, and, and I, I come to his door, and and he basically is resisting uh, getting up and giving me what I need. But if I will persist, he eventually will yield. And what I want to suggest to you is this. I, there, you know, there's certain parables that are not really interpreted. This is one of them. And, and I'm going to preach again. Uh, the next time I preach, I'm going to go into a really, really cool message, which I would have loved to give today, but I really couldn't fit it in time-wise. So it will be a message all by itself. But, but what? one thing I don't think that we could fully appreciate this parable until now in the history of the world. Because only now, through, through brain scans, can scientists... Uh, study the brain 
and, and find certain things, certain knowledge about the way the brain works that, interestingly enough, uh, uh, are, are completely consistent and parallel and congruent with this parable and other parables as well. So in other words, this parable is really, um, could be viewed through what science has discovered about how the brain works, and it just fits so awesomely. And so <clears throat> what we have here is uh, a person with need, a person without the sufficiency, I have nothing to set before him. And so he uh, continues to pursue the provision. And I want to suggest to you that the friend that he goes to is a kind of a figurative uh, uh, way in which you could describe the way the brain works. In other words, there is resistance from our humanistic, natural, carnal, earthbound matrix mindset to the provision of God and to supernatural you know, uh, uh, interaction with God and with heaven where we can receive supernaturally the provisions that we do not have. And the fact is, is that we are not sufficient to fulfill what God has for us. And therefore, we are in that situation because our city is out there and our city in, it will eventually come to us and they have needs. And even people here today, many of you have come in here with needs. And, and I and myself and others in, and all of us within ourselves, we do not have the resources to meet the need that is, that, that is before us. And so, therefore, it is incumbent upon us and through prayer, because that's what this is about. It is through prayer. But we have to understand that our natural minds have to be overcome. And the way in which they are overcome, the way in which the Word of God coming into us and the faith that God gives to us overcomes the natural carnal earthbound matrix mindset is through persistence. And I believe that's what this parable is about. It's about repentance. It's about carving new neural pathways in our minds. It's about not uh, uh, living in limitations of the natural mind and being uh, 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 bound by what is humanly possible and, and whatever our three marvels can conceive or cannot conceive. Because that's what it means to trust in the Lord with all your might and, and all your strength and all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. And that's what we have to do as Christians because we are, our natural minds do not receive nor do they perceive the things of God. But the things of the Spirit are revealed to us and I know I'm stretching you out. I'm stretching myself out right now. But that's what we need. We've got to stretch ourselves out We've got to persist until we see the love, the holiness, and the power of God. Those three loaves. And that when people come in here and when we go out, we go out with the power of God, the holiness of God working in us, and the love of God. And how is that going to happen? We have to understand what this is about. It's about pressing through that veil of our natural thinking and believing God for things that are not humanly possible.
And so he says, I say to you, ask. And, and I understand that what this is really saying, it's a con- uh, present continuous, I believe, and it's, it's ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And so it is incumbent, and worship team, you can come up. It is incumbent upon us to set our minds on things above and to stand fast and hold the things that God has deposited within us, no matter how impossible. In fact, they should be impossible. Because with man, these things are not possible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's where God is taking us. Because we're coming, we're going through salvation and we're coming into glory. And who is sufficient for these things? We can't allow the thoughts and words of discouragement, of fear, of lust, of unbelief, all the resistance of the world, the flesh, the devil, all of that is coming against it. But God is going to have a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. That's where this is going. And that's where this city is going. And that's where this church is going. Amen. Let's do it. Thank you. Praise God from Blessings Praise Him all creatures here below Praise Him above heavenly oh, oh yeah Praise Father Son and Holy You gotta be kidding me God from blessing. 